The Old Testament reading is this morning is from Psalm 84, found on page 588 in your pew Bibles. Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. Today's New Testament reading can be found on page 1002 of your Pew Bibles. Hear these words from the book that we love. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought Jesus, brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Sherman Street. How are ya? Doing all right? Good. Okay. Good. 
sunshine. <laughs> oh, how we've missed you. Uh, let's pray before we uh, dive deeper into Mark chapter 1 together. God, we pray that you would revive us yet again through the power of your word, through the power of your loving presence in our midst, presence that is always with us, but that we don't always have eyes to see. God, uh, we ask that you'd give us eyes to see today, to catch a glimpse of your beauty. Give us ears to hear your good news yet again. We pray these things in Jesus' name, all God's people prayed. Amen. Uh, so we, uh, we are in these Sundays after Epiphany, uh, and... This is the, uh, the, the gospel lectionary text, again, for us today. And I love this, this, uh, this season in the church calendar that doesn't get as much attention, of course, as, as the great seasons of, of Lent and Advent and so forth. Um, we find ourselves in this, this part of the story after all the anticipation of, of Advent and then Christ's coming at Christmas, and then we celebrate Epiphany Sunday and the story of the, the Magi, God's revelation of this good news to the whole world. And we've, we've got a month or so here uh, before we, we enter Lent, which is just a week and a half away until Ash Wednesday, where we're, we're, we're looking at some of these stories of, of a young Jesus or Jesus early in his ministry. And it's, it's not some of the ones that you get in you know, the season of Lent where we, we get lots of Jesus stories, some of his most famous teachings and miracles and so forth. And that all kind of leads up to the, the Passion Week and the death and resurrection and, and so forth. But we have this, this little period of time to look at Jesus uh, just starting to, to get his legs, you might say, uh, at the beginning of his public ministry. And uh, I love this story towards the end of Mark's opening chapter because we see Jesus just starting to, to launch his, his public ministry and he's bombarded with all the uh, pressures and expectations that come with all of a sudden being this, this celebrity and this is one of those stories that holds wonderful space for both the, the divinity of Christ as he starts to heal and to cast out demons and so forth, and yet holds at the same time something of the humanity of Christ. And it's this little lesser-known story. To be honest, I hadn't really looked at this story uh, very closely until this last week. Uh, that, that is so incredibly relatable. Because as, as people who live in the United States of America in 2024, 
I think we, we all know something of what it's like to feel bombarded on all sides by expectations and pressures of others and of society and these, these roles that we're supposed to live out. And Jesus uh, uh, models for us, as Jamie said, uh, how to live in the midst of all these competing pressures. So I'm, I'm pretty much just going to take us through this, this story uh, line by line with a couple thoughts at the end, but uh, to kind of set the scene for us, right? Again, we're, we're in Mark's opening chapter, the beginning of his gospel, and, uh, you know, Jesus is born, he, John the Baptist has come and prepared the way, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, he's immediately sent into the desert for 40 days to fast and to pray, and now he's returned and we're in kind of the first days of his calling the first disciples, uh, which are the stories right before this, and his, his, some of his first miracles. Uh, Mark, Mark tells the story a little bit differently than, than John. John begins with Jesus' first miracle is the wedding at Canaan, turning the water to wine. And Mark doesn't include that story. Uh, he begins with uh, the story of Jesus uh, on his way to this town of Capernaum, uh, where people come to him, a, a man who's possessed by an evil spirit, and Jesus heals him. And the spirit cries out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Nazareth, Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus says, Be quiet to the spirit. Come out of him. And uh, the people are amazed. They say, what is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. And that text right before our text ends, news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. News about him spread quickly. Jesus has, uh, in Mark's telling of things, performed his first miracle that, that people start to notice. Maybe he starts with this one instead of the story of the wedding at Canaan, because even that one, Jesus is sort of behind the scenes, right? Only a few people even notice the miracles happening. But it's like all of a sudden, Jesus is uh, this public figure. He's thrust into the spotlight. I found myself... Uh, Wondering this week what Jesus' first 30 years uh, might have been like up until this point where he launches his public ministry. And, and the nearest thing I could come up with was uh, perhaps it was something like what Harry Potter experienced in, in like the first few books of the you know, Harry Potter series, right? Like at that point, Harry Potter, like, Everybody knew who he was, right? Because there were these prophecies about him that he's the chosen one and they had heard a story of this, you know, this, uh, this miraculous, you might say, moment when he's an infant with, with Voldemort. I know I'm not supposed to say his name, but you, you know. It's <laughs> the one whose name we shall not say. No, that's... Uh, but at the same time, uh, in those early books... Harry Potter, he hasn't really publicly done anything 
miraculous or special yet, right? So people were aware of him, but there was still this sort of, okay, let's, let's see what this life might end up being. But he otherwise is sort of flying under the radar, and I wonder if that was kind of Jesus' experience growing up, right? People, people knew something of the, the incredible events uh, of Christmas and the story of Mary and Joseph and the, the Magi and the stars and the prophecies, right? But publicly, Jesus hadn't really done anything just yet. But all of a sudden, on this day, right after he calls his first disciples and they're starting to head to Capernaum, and he has this encounter and this healing happens, and news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. And you get this sense that things start to move really fast. As soon as they left the synagogue, the text continues immediately, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went up, took her hand, and helped her up. He heals her, right? And the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. And we're still in that same day. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. Uh, I'm not going to talk about demons today. That's a, kind of a sermon for another day, but it's, it's natural. to like, what, is, what do we believe about demons? Are they, you know? It's one of those things that uh, I don't want to say one thing about unless I'm going to say seven things about to kind of nuance. Uh, well, I guess I, I will say one thing. That, <laughs> I can't resist. Okay. I don't want to say two things about without saying seven. Uh, whatever we do with, with demons, it's clear here that Jesus has authority over these spirits. That they are no match for the lordship of Christ. So we can take comfort in that. But uh, the text continues, the whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So again, this is all the same day. Jesus does this first miracle that people really notice that's public. News about him is spreading. He shows up with these followers. They, you know, he heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And at sunset now, the same day, the whole town is at the door. The whole town. And it doesn't say Jesus healed all of them. It says he healed many of them and he cast out many spirits. And you get the sense even from him telling the demons not to speak. It's what's called in Mark, Mark's gospel the, uh, the Mark in secret, right? Jesus is like, shh, 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 don't tell them who I am, right? That it's even in that, there's a sense of Jesus being like, whoa, 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 let, can we just slow this whole train down? People are already amazed at these healings, these miracles that are happening. We don't need these spirits announcing me as the Holy One of God just yet. And I can't help but wonder if Jesus felt overwhelmed by all of this. 
This was a new experience for him. Jesus is divine, and Jesus is also human. And there are other stories in the gospel where we know that Jesus felt overwhelmed. I think of him in the Garden of Gethsemane. As a part of his humanity and his experience of humanity. We know he had deep empathy and could feel the emotions of the people around him. That's clear. When Jesus grieves, when he weeps, when he responds with compassion. And here the whole town is waiting at the door. It's already after supper. It's already dark. Remember, this is before there was, you know, uh, street lights. <laughs> Uh, when things tended to kind of shut down. And he heals many of them, but the text seems to be saying that he doesn't get to healing everyone. And at some point, he goes to sleep, and the text continues, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place, where he prayed. Jesus uh, could have just stayed up all night until the work was done. Or said, okay, I'm going to sleep for a bit, but I'm going to get up early and I'm going to get right back out there and keep healing people. It seems reasonable to me that, uh, you know, these people that were waiting for healing we're probably camped out outside of this home. These are people who are desperate. This might just be the one shot they have at healing. There's a story a couple paragraphs after this where the, the friends of a paralytic man actually cut a hole in the ceiling <laughs> to get and climb over the crowds to lower their friend in. They're so desperate. And yet Jesus chooses instead to somehow sneak out, maybe through a back door. I wonder if, you know, maybe through some kind of disguise. This is just conjecture. But somehow he sneaks out unnoticed. He doesn't tell anyone, you know, say to Simon and them, hey, this is where I'm going. Uh, he, he doesn't leave a note. <laughs> this is before they had notepads. But he sneaks out and he goes to a solitary place. Some translations even say, a lonely place. And in the darkness of the morning hours, he prays. You can imagine what kind of anxiety the, the disciples might have felt when they wake up the next morning and Jesus is gone. This, this guy that they had just left everything to follow, that these crowds that they're trying to manage are still waiting for, and Jesus is gone, and they don't know where he is. The text continues, Simon and his companions went to look for him. Now in the Greek, the word isn't, uh, is actually closer to Simon and his companions went hunting for him. And when they find, found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. It's hard for me to not uh, hear a, a guilt trip <laughs> in those words. 
uh, I don't know about you, maybe it's the, the voice of my mom or, uh, you know, whatever kind of authority figure, older sibling or best friend that gives you guilt trips, your kids, whatever, right? This like everyone has been looking for you, right? You can read between the lines. Where have you been? It's not like a, it's not like a, oh, Jesus, we're so glad to see you. First of all, are you okay? <laughs> What's going on for you? Or it's not even like a, oh, Jesus, we have been freaking out. Uh, like, we're really anxious because there's a lot of people with a lot of expectations of you. It's everyone is looking for you, Jesus. And Jesus replies, it's time for us to go somewhere else. I wonder how overwhelmed Jesus must have felt by all these pressures and expectations. Crowds of people with real needs that he could have stayed and healed. People who needed him. And yet, in the midst of all the pressure and all the expectations of all the people around him saying, we need you, we need you, we need you. You should be here. You should be doing this thing. Jesus goes off to a solitary place and grounds himself in the loving presence of his Father and remembers again who he is and what he is called to do. Jesus simply says, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. He's clear on his identity and he's clear in his vocation because he took the time to step aside from everybody else's expectations and roles and scripts for his life and to center and ground himself in the presence of the love of God and remember again who he is and what he's called to do. I, uh, I've shared with you the love uh, I've, I've found for Thomas Merton's writing over the last couple of years uh, when my sister-in-law gave me a copy of his book, New Seeds of Contemplation, and it just it changed my life and renewed my faith and revolutionized uh, so much of how I understand the Christian life, particularly my understanding of prayer. I think even a few years ago, I... I used to think that, you know, the calling of the Christian life was to, to go through life faithful and living out uh, a Christ-like life, and to, as a part of that, from time to time, pray. But, but prayer was sort of this, like, you know, you live this faithful, holy life, you're going through your day, and prayer is like this extra thing that you do to intercede for people because there's power in prayer, and God uses prayer. It's, it's like serving or one of these actions, one of the ways we can impact the world. And uh, Merton talks about prayer in a very different way than that. 
that the calling of the Christian life, really the calling of the human life, for this is what we were made for, is to not just go through life and, you know, sometimes pray, but it's to, to go through life with something like an almost constant awareness of God's presence and God's love and God's kingdom in our midst. And so prayer isn't just, you know, like I said a couple of weeks ago, you know, we, we go to God to twist God's arm as though we're, we're talking God into doing something that God would not otherwise do unless we labored it enough. Again, I do think there's a, a connection between our prayers and our, our speech that somehow we co-create with God through the power of prayer. But, but so much more than that, prayer is this awareness of God's constant presence and the kingdom's presence in our midst if we only have eyes to see it. And it's an ongoing conversation, sometimes with words, but sometimes even just the communion of the quiet presence that two uh, long-married people or two old friends enjoy when they can be together without even needing to talk. And so prayer for me has shifted from being this thing that like, oh, I should do that more. People will be like, you've got this big decision or this big thing in your life. Have you prayed about it? Uh, not really. I know I should. And this kind of constant feeling of guilt because I'm supposed to pray is this extra thing. To like prayer now for me is my first calling. Prayer is the foundation of everything else. And everything else of the Christian life flows out of that. It's, it's the, the noun quote that Jamie opened the service with about the calling to live out of the knowledge that we are God's beloved and to walk out of that and to live and to serve as this overflowing fountain of love. It's the lifeblood of the Christian life. And I've, I've shifted from like, oh, I should pray about that, you're right, you know, to now it's like I can't imagine not, I can't imagine approaching anything significant in my life without coming to live out of that place of prayer so that I can begin to see the situation clearly. One of the things I've, I've learned through the shift is that I've, I no longer trust myself to discern or to see anything clearly unless I have lingered in God's loving presence through prayer. We, uh, uh, you know, as a church are in this season of discerning some big questions about whether or not to, to stay affiliated with the CRC, whether or not there's still a place for us to truly belong in this denomination that we've called home for over 100 years. Uh, and there's questions within that, right? Of Is it time to say we no longer belong here? Uh, 
And if that's true, where do we go? And how much time and energy and focus should we even give all this? And uh, I, think, I think someone I deeply respect, Sandy Navis, one of our elders, she gave me permission to share this. Uh, she sent an email to the, the council saying, I felt called to show up a half hour early for every council meeting and to sit quietly in the sanctuary and pray before each meeting. And I invite any of you to, to join me. And that, that shows me that she's someone who, who gets this. Who gets that if we don't ground ourselves like, like Christ did in the midst of all the competing expectations and pressures and the potential reactivity around us, we're, we're prone to misstep. Because there's something that happens when we step into that solitary place, when we go to that lonely place and we ground ourselves in God's presence, what begins to happen is all those competing voices and pressures outside of us and within us, in God's presence, they begin to melt away. And our truest, deepest selves start to emerge. A person can go their whole life simply living out other people's expectations for them. You can bounce from day to day, from year to year, following whatever path somebody or some community or some group uh, set before you as this is the path you're supposed to follow. And unless you, like Christ, learn to go to that solitary place, which is terrifying, because there's something easy about just following everybody's expectations, right? And, and we can get used to that, of just pleasing others, or just reacting against others, which is its own form of still being controlled by them. But if you're brave enough, if you have the courage to go to that solitary place and to sit in God's loving presence and to let all those competing pressures outside you and within you still. If you can reconnect with the Father who made you and sustains you and loves you. Merton says, your deepest, most true, unique self will emerge. And you might just begin to develop a sense of, as Beekner says, Frederick Beekner, of where your unique vocation is, where your deepest passion connects with the world's deepest longing or deepest need. You might find that there's this fire in you that God gave you as a unique calling that is longing to be fostered if you should just have the courage to disappoint the people around you. 
These are the gifts of prayer. This is the life that Jesus models for us and invites us into. And I'll just I'll close with this, this last question. I found myself wondering this week, uh, what might it look like for Sherman Street Church to be a, a community in which every one of us has the courage to, to make space in their life to go to this solitary place. Not find it, because you won't find it. You have to be intentional. You have to make it. You have to, like Jesus, maybe get up early in the morning. I'm sure he was tired, and yet he gets up and he goes out. What might it be like if every one of us made that effort to go to that solitary place, to meet with the God who made you uniquely you, and to discover that fire, that unique calling on your life, and to say yes to it, no matter what anyone else might think. Wouldn't that be exciting? Wouldn't that be amazing? Each one of us, alive, serving not just out of this place of guilt or duty or uh, people will be mad if I stop volunteering for this. But driven in response to the call of God. Let's, let's pray. God of love, God who says to each one of us, you are my beloved. The one who called Jesus his beloved son at his baptism. And then days later, in this early morning of prayer, reminded Jesus again of his beloved sonship. Spirit, help each one of us to encounter you in that solitary, that lonely place where your voice matters more than anything else. We invite you, God, to to reorder our lives individually and collectively. For we trust that you are good. Lord, help us to receive this wonderful gift of prayer, not just as a, a responsibility that we have to do, but as an invitation to who we truly are. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. All God's people pray. Amen.